0: Hi everybody, producer Al here. After a brief mid-winter break, we are back re-releasing more classic TSFP Presents episodes here on the Monday podcast feed for you guys. If you remember our latest series, is a history of transfers uh, which patrons first listened to back in 2019 and in this week's episode we discuss literally the biggest transfers in terms of impact in La Liga history. I also want to remind you as you heard about on the Monday podcast as you may have seen on our social media feeds uh, we're really excited about this new TSFP merch order now because it's an initial limited run only available until March 8th. If there's huge demand hopefully there'll be more in the future but for now It's only a very limited two week run. Check out the merch and enjoy this episode of the history of transfers.
1: Hello, patrons. Welcome to another edition of TSFP presents a history of transfers. In the last episode, we spoke about some of the most important transfers in the history of La Liga, the ones that had had the biggest impact. On their respective sides There were a couple of important names That we missed out Actually four big names that we didn't talk about And we thought we'd dedicate an entire episode To speaking about Possibly the two most important signings In the history of Barcelona And possibly the two most important signings In the history of Real Madrid I think you can guess who we're talking about Obviously for... Thomas
2: Crabberson Faubert, yeah Wow, you What was Faubourg That Faubert <laughs> yeah. went... wow.
0: Yes. Although there is a connection to Faubert because, of course, is famously there? in his presentation as a Real Madrid player, yeah. standing alongside oh, him true? looking bemused and sort of angry, but yes. he often did quite look at yes, look quite, quite angry,
1: was... Uh, Alfredo de Stefano, who we're going to be talking about uh, alongside Johan Cruyff, Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, as you could probably guess. So we'll start off chronologically by talking about uh, Alfredo Di Stefano and his signing for Real Madrid. In 1953 from uh, Millonarios, uh, he signed, scored a lot of goals, and, and uh, that was it. And they won five European Cups. That's basically it in a nutshell. But, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on how he signed for Real Madrid. I mean, yeah. we could easily do a
2: whole episode. On oh, easily. Signed. yeah, Without doubt. And, and it would be very complex, and there's a lot of detail. And, and I think what we're going to have to try to do is simplify the signing. Because yes. the sim- signing is very complex. At the risk, of course, yes, of... Maybe not treating it with the nuance that, that perhaps it needs, but I think I think it does need to be simplified because otherwise we could be here literally what, all day. What chapter is it in your book? I don't know uh 6 maybe. Yeah, yeah go read seven? chapter 6
1: just to, I mean it is a great one. So you're in for a treat. But yeah, if we don't do uh, it full justice here go and go and read uh, Sid's book. I mean book.
0: look this is probably well arguably the biggest kind of sliding doors moment in football history. Yeah, Without that everything could have been very very different if this transfer had had turned out Absolutely.
2: A There's a I mean I, I i do write this in the book but that it was it was something that really really struck me. I, I interviewed uh, Juan Santisteban who played with Alfredo Stefano was very young um played with Alfredo Di Stefano. And we'd been talking for, I don't know, an hour and a half, nearly two hours at the, at the Bernabeu. And, and, and at the end of it, we were sort of getting up, ready to go. And the tape, I turned the tape off. And he said to me, in a kind of conspiratorial tone, he said, Whatever anyone has ever told you about Alfredo Di Stefano, forget it. And I thought, I don't believe it. He's, you know, having just told me how wonderful he is, he's yeah. about to say, Fundamentally, you know, he wasn't that good, or he's massively over, over, overrated, or something like that. And I was like, "Hey," he said. Whatever they say, they can't do justice how good he was. There is nothing and no one who ever did what Alfredo Di Stefano did, who ever played like Alfredo Di Stefano played. Now, of course, this is one of his teammates, but I was really struck by this kind of, you know, come closer, son. I'm going to tell you something. And I <laughs> thought he was going to blow the myth of Di Stefano out the water, and instead he kind of did the the complete opposite. Um, and as Al says, the sliding door moment, I mean, it's, it's difficult to properly do justice to just okay. how much difference he made.
1: He was going to sign for Barcelona.
2: Yes, and this is, this is the thing. So he was going to sign for Barcelona, and we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute, and instead he signs for Real Madrid. The truth is that when he signs for Real Madrid in 1953, Real Madrid are not that good, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about a team that since the end of the Spanish Civil War, Real Madrid have won the league Not once. Okay, that's 1939. It was 1939, yeah, sorry. Uh, Atletico Madrid have won the league four times. Barcelona have won the league five times, including the last two. So we're talking about the dominant team in Spain who have Cubala playing up front, probably the best player in the world at the moment, at the time, even though obviously I think a lot of people with hindsight have no longer heard of him. People of our generation largely haven't heard of him. We're talking about a period in which Atletico have won the league, Valencia have won the league, Sevilla have won the league, Real Madrid haven't. Of 14 post-war domestic titles in Spain Real Madrid have only won two which are two cups two Copa de la Barcelona have won nine so this is the best team in the world about to sign the best player in the world and Real Madrid get him instead and everything changes hmm. how did that happen then well, uh, I say everything <laughs> changes, by the way. It's worth pointing this out. They two league titles in their entire history pre Stefano, They've got mm. a total of 32 now, Real Madrid, or is it 31 leagues they've won in their history? 31. 31. They win eight of 11 league titles with Di Stefano. And, of course, above all else, they win five European Cups in a row. The first five European
0: Cups in which he scores in yeah, all of the say, finals. Scores in every single final.
2: I mean, we're talking about someone who's quite good at football, <laughs> right? I mean, genuinely, I think if it wasn't for the, for the fact that he didn't have an impact at the World Cup, I think we—he is in the conversation with Pele and Maradona. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and in Spain, I think for most people, he still is in that conversation. But outside of Spain, of course, because he didn't have that international projection, despite the European Cup, because of the lack, lack of World Cup, it just—you know. Real Madrid have won it 33 times. Of course, they have. You took Always two league titles them down, aren't you? Peter? you, you tried, yeah. Two league titles off Real Madrid. So there yes. you go. So 33 titles. In other words, they've scored two in the pre Stefano era. Scored won, one. And. 31 mm. in the post-Estefano era. Mm. Right, so what happens with his transfer? And I'm going to try and simplify. Alfredo Stefano belongs to River Plate in Argentina. Mm-hmm. He's playing for Millonarios in Colombia. Now, the Colombian league is considered a pirate league by FIFA. It's a breakaway league that, that breaks from FIFA's control. There is a. Uh, they're trying to find a solution to this, and there's a thing called the Pact of Lima, obviously a pact signed in Lima, in which all players in the Colombian league are allowed to stay for the time being, but in October 1954, automatically revert to their original clubs. Right. And those Colombian clubs accept this, and they can't do anything about it. So he's a River Plate player at Millonarios. To cut a very long story short, which we'll then expand upon, Real Madrid, Barcelona do a deal with River Plate. Real Madrid later, and this is a key key question, do a deal with Millonarios, the club where he is on loan. Okay. The Spanish state becomes involved. There is a letter as I found in a government file which had never been seen before. I mean, the day I found that file, I was literally sitting there looking at it going, don't fucking believe it. <laughs> I've got the, not quite the smoking gun, but very nearly, I've got this piece of evidence. And there's, there's a two or three really interesting documents in there. One of them is the original letter between the head of the Spanish Football Federation and the, the head of what's essentially the sports ministry, the DND, the Delegación Nacional de Deportes at the time, in which he says, well, Real would have to sign this deal, but this deal is papel mojado. In other words, it's not worth the paper it's written on. Literally, wet, wet paper. paper. It's not worth the paper it's written on. It means nothing. Real Madrid's deal. The state recognised it. It meant nothing. It becomes entrenched though because they're in a situation where just I mean, won't let him go. He's already said to Mignognaus, by the way, I'm just going to retire. I've hmm. had enough. I can't be bothered with this. Barcelona do the deal with a replay. Wait, wait. I'm going to retire. Yes, from football. Yes, he was going to retire. He'd had enough. He was going to just ditch it all. Oh wow. We're talking about a different era, of course, when well, yeah. when playing football doesn't necessarily make you the same same kind of money. Um, so you have a situation where he arrives in Barcelona uh, in, the of, in the summer of 53, and he arrives in Barcelona to sign for Barcelona. But Barcelona talked to him, and he always refers to it in his book, quite like this, as, as the third man. So they say, we've got you, and we've got River Plate who own you, but we need to strike a deal with me to get you from there now. Obviously, we could just wait until October fifty-four when you revert to being a River Plate player, anyway, mm. and just take you then. But that's still sixteen months away. So they try and do a deal with Mignognaus. Now, of course, part of the problem is that they know that the most from Mignognaus they're buying sixteen months' worth of player. So they're refusing to pay the kind of money that Mignognaus are asking for. They have mm. paid over four million euros to Mignognaus. River, sorry, to River Plate. Mignognaus want a million and a half, what's essentially sixteen months' worth of player, mm. and they're saying no. Real Madrid go to River Plate and then this creates a stalemate hmm. again to cut quite a long story short a stalemate which is incredibly embarrassing for a lot of people in particular for the for the state a stalemate in which basically one of the things the state does is say well you know what tell you what we pass a law no foreign players tough shit neither of you can have him <laughs> when that doesn't work and here's one of the curious things about it that doesn't work the two clubs together yeah, together accept mediation from Armando Calero who's a FIFA a Spaniard at FIFA they accept mediation from him and they write a letter requesting that this ban be lifted. So the two clubs in this are in it together because they think that there will be a solution found. Mm. When that solution is presented to them, that solution is, tell you what, Madrid for a year, Barcelona for a year, Madrid for a year, Barcelona for a year, across a four-year period. And then we'll deal with it at the end of that four-year what? period. That what? was the solution? Which is a cop-out. That massive was,
0: cop out, that was
2: mean... Di Stefano's response. Di Stefano's response was, these people know nothing about football. How can I go to one, <laughs> mm. score for one one week, and score for the other another week? So you get this situation which both clubs think, well, this is ridiculous. So Barcelona try and get out of it completely. Mm. And they try and get out of it completely by going to River Plate and saying, can we have our money back? Mm. River Plate saying, no. <laughs> they then try and sell their share to Juventus. Juventus are not that interested because of course they know they're going to have the fight over the other part of it. And so you you get this scenario in which the solution is no solution Mm. and Barcelona eventually sign away their rights and they say to Madrid, you can buy Abbott. The question mark is why? Mm. And that's where you get all the suggestions of pressures being placed upon the Barcelona president who then resigns and in a very enigmatic resignation letter does suggest hint very very heavily that yes indeed there was significant pressure brought to bear on him, and I think without the involvement of the Spanish state, there's a very strong probability that he would have signed for Barcelona. That said, it's slightly different from the usual version of this story, which suggests that the state systematically tried to make this happen. Mm. I think I think a, a a more realistic interpretation is to suggest that the state tried to resolve a very very messy situation. Hmm.
1: Obviously as we said I mean there is a, uh, a wealth of uh, stories within this story and within just him before he even became a Real Madrid player obviously the signing as as you've gone into some detail here but there's a lot more that you could yes, talk there, about is, with, there,
2: there is loads more yeah which
1: we're not going to but like we said check out chapter 6 if you want to uh, I mean the the, the program is or well, the show that we're doing here is m- more about the impact of the yes. of the signing right yeah. but this is such an interesting s- signing the story of that we had to talk about it. The impact that he had, it's its really hard to sort of overstate how important he is to yeah. Real Madrid, to their history, to their identity, how closely linked he is. I mean, um, Al and I, obviously, we moved here in 2012 and, and subsequently we've been working with Real Madrid TV. I don't know about you, I wasn't aware of Alfredo de Stéphane. Stif- I mean, I'd heard of the name, but I wasn't aware of the sort of aura and everything that went around him and how important he was to Real Madrid.
0: No, and I think maybe I became aware of that, actually, when he died, yeah. Because when he died, we did a special program on Real Madrid <laughs> TV about him and his impact, and that was when I sort of started mm. to get more of a, a sense of it. But also, I think we can take it a bit further because we talk about his his importance, his impact for Real Madrid. Mm. You can also say that because Real Madrid at that time, in his time, was so important for the European Cup and its development. Yes, that also comes from indirectly from from him. Yes.
2: Well, I think I think there is an argument that says that in terms of the impact a player has had. On, if you like modern football, Alfredo Stefano is, is the greatest player of all time in terms of the impact, in terms of how much things change, in terms of how much of what happens now is explained by by a player. Um, I think Cruyff, if you add Cruyff the manager to Cruyff the player, mm. maybe Cruyff is, is, is higher. Mm. But I think the Stefano in terms of purely what he did as a player, because it's it, there's so many elements to this. And well, obviously, his, his success... In the European
1: Cup and what he did it with the, makes European, the Cup. European Cup, yeah, it as makes well as Europe... Real Madrid, and it, it makes, makes for Real Madrid, and it yeah. makes Real
2: Madrid. So you're talking about without Di Stefano, there isn't Real Madrid, the biggest club of all time. There isn't the European Cup, or maybe there is. We don't know how it would develop, but we there there isn't uh, the European Cup as being what it is. There isn't that sense of identity for Real Madrid. And I think one of the other things about Di Stefano, it's not just how good he was, it's that he was different to other players. And actually, when you listen to him talk about it. Um, as, as I've done, obviously, the the he talks about his role, and there's an element of messy about it. Mm. He just talks about himself as a withdrawn striker, and the guy that would come and get the ball and play and make everyone else play and would run the game. And, and but I think much more aggressive than Messi, and that's one of the other elements of, of of him is his personality. And I think one of the things you talk to people at Real Madrid, this idea that he represents the values and the symbolism of Real Madrid, which actually at times, let's say, aggressive could occasionally be nasty, grumpy, direct, but in incredibly competitive and there's three or four very famous stories about him like the one where he's got a player following him around and he says it's a young player and he says are you going to just follow me everywhere son and, and the player I think it's Osuna but I must confess I can't remember who it was he says well yeah my manager's told me to he said alright you can follow me around if you like um, you might even learn something and <laughs> so Stefano just kind of wanders around the pitch there's another there's another one um, a European Cup game when he's man marked but by two players and he literally takes himself out of the game goes and stands on the wing and says just stand near them and just i mean obviously it's been exaggerated with time a bit like the kind of the angler's fish story that gets bigger and bigger with every te- retelling of the story but the story is told almost as if he stands on the touchline, sign and doesn't move and says these two can stay with me obviously you interviewed him didn't you i think i might be the last person to ever interview him because yeah, ah. he was he was 87 when i interviewed him or yeah 87 i think um he was very good company in a kind of gloriously kind of grumpy Grumpy, sort of way, but but, but really, yeah, very cantankerous, really, really interesting. Um, He talked a lot about, he talked a lot about, about the pressure and it's very clear listening to him talk, it was very clear listening to him talk, how, how much of it he didn't enjoy, Hmm. how much of it he felt under pressure, how much of it he felt an obligation to perform, how much he was aware of players perhaps not being given the money that they were generating for other people he talks about um flights and then it becomes clear there's a moment in the conversation where i think oh he's the reason why he keeps going back to this is because he was terrified of flying and i actually asked him so you were frightened he goes, oh god yeah i hate, absolutely hated it i hated seeing those mountains just by you and that sort of stuff and there was a real there was there was a real kind of a kind of a human element to it that mm. i thought was 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 very interesting and you know as i say that 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 edge with him and, and genuinely teammates of his would say, you know, at times he could be a total bastard. He could mm. be horrible. He could call you every name under the sun. He could confront you all the time. There's a very famous story of Amancio and Amancio in a pre-season uh, game, I think in Africa, but I'm not completely sure. Amancio is this big summer signing from Deportivo Lacourne, I think in 61, maybe 62. Comes to Real Madrid, most expensive player they've ever signed. Um, very good player, by the way, an absolutely brilliant player. And Amancio is in in going to pre-season he sees his shirt hung up and he picks up his shirt and he says there's no there's no badge on this shirt and Di Stefano famously says you've got to sweat it you know, in other words you've got to sweat the shirt to earn the badge and mm-hmm. that phrase in a way we're talking about the values and the idea of an identity for Real Madrid that phrase in a way I think is probably the most famous phrase in Real Madrid's history in terms of encapsulating that. and it's curious that Real Madrid have created a, if you like a, a, a mythology or a, mm. an identity through sacrifice an effort when they're the richest club in the world and in, 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 a, in a sense they're the opposite of that hmm. but the Stefano was the embodiment if you like of being the most talented being the most expensive being the player that you bought and you could accuse him of buying success and yet at the same time out on the pitch aggressive go for it you know just, the, as I say, that sense of this is what our values are. And the
0: idea that the one thing you can't get away with is not trying. It's not trying, mm-hmm.
2: yes. You can get away with some other things, but you can't get away with not trying. And one of the other things this, um, Juan Santisteran said to me, he says, you know, the Stefano, he could, he could be shouting at you all game, run, stop, run, go there, go right, go left. And he said there was one game where he turned around and he said, Alfredo, if only I could run like you. I'm trying. <laughs> I, would, I yeah, am yeah, trying. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. OK, uh, well let's move on, because we do have uh, quite a bit still to uh, talk about. And um, Go to 1973, the summer of, uh, where um, Ajax sold Johan Cruyff to Barcelona for a then world record fee. Yes. Six million guilders. Six million guilders? Three Sounds guilders. like a lot.
2: Free for him, free for for Ajax. Yeah. I must admit, I'm not sure what six million guilders is in uh, in pounds. Uh, or, at or the or time, yield. it was
0: almost a million pounds. Yes. Pounds, it?
2: So, yeah. Mm. It was just because, because, of course, the first million pound player was Trevor Francis, which is actually, what? Three years later, maybe four, I'm not entirely sure. Mm.
1: And as we said, the rest is history with Johan Cruyff, but Mm. not just with him, it was not just what he did on the pitch, but what he suffered It's the ideology.
2: I mean, with Cruyff, it's the ideology, isn't it? And we're talking about the values of Di Stefano, but if anyone embodies the values of Barcelona, it's Cruyff, someone who seemed to understand the Catalan question. But more than that, it was about the idea of, you know, we play, and we have a very clear. So with Barcelona, there is a obviously a, a narrative made about their social and political hmm. ideals, if you like. But actually, what Cruyff did was give them a footballing narrative to go with it. Hmm. Both as a player, where you know teammates talk about him revolutionising the game. As teammates, I mean, I, I remember Rishak saying, you know, it used to be run, jump, fight. With Cruyff, <laughs> it was play. Yeah. And it was so that the whole ideology was different and obviously this is an Ajax philosophy and, and a lot of what we'd say about Barcelona, a lot of what we believe to be Barcelona's philosophy is actually an Ajax philosophy. Hmm. And it's not purely about Cruyff, but a big part of it is about Cruyff. Well,
0: and you hinted at this earlier, Sid, when comparing him to Di Stefano. You know, without Cruyff the player going to Barcelona, you don't have Cruyff the coach exactly. going to Barcelona. And you don't have, you don't have Barcelona's Barcelona. first European Cup. Hmm. You don't have the focus on on La Masia, the the philosophy. You don't have Javi and Iniesta. Guardiola. You don't have Guardiola. You don't have. Yeah. I mean, take it all the way up to Spain winning the World Cup in 2010. Yes. You know, that's <laughs> sort of the logical conclusion. Well, the, of well, the process that starts with Cruyff going to yeah. Barcelona to the,
2: to the extent that Vicente Bosque will admit that. I mean, a lot of Madrid fans don't like the fact that Vicente de la Bosca would admit that, but but he will admit that there is a line of continu- uh, continuity from Cruyff through to the dream team. And actually, an element of continuity, Cruyff through to the Quinta de la Buitre, the Real Madrid team, through to the dream team... Through to kind of, a, if you like, a modern obsession with technique and touch and position, above all, positional play. And, and Cruyff, in that sense, is, 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 is absolutely massive.
1: How important was his embracing of the
2: Catalan idea? Well, I think it was important in terms of making him a legend for, for mm. Barcelona fans. I, I think it's, I mean, he understood it, but I think he understood it in, in very broad brushstrokes. You know, there's just this idea of we fight against uh, injustices. His words, not mine, by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily taking this on at face value. That we represent something social, that we represent something that goes beyond purely sport. Whether that's right or wrong is is, is obviously a, a, another question, certainly in a modern-day incarnation of it. Obviously, at the time, with a dictatorship, perhaps it's, it's different. Um, obviously, this is famously embodied in when he played in the... In the 5 0 against uh, against Real Madrid mm. in February '74, and 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 they destroy Real Madrid, and there was a sense that this is a game of huge political significance. Mm. And in mm. particular, and in particular, he plays because the birth of his first son, Jordi Cruyff, who of course, went to play for Barcelona, Manchester United. Mm. He's been sporting director and manager at Tel Aviv and manager of uh, Ajax, Well, there you go, exactly the yeah. the high point of his of his entire life, I'm yep. sure. Um, and you know the the, the birth of of Jordi of, of was brought forward so that he could play in that game so there's already that sense of wow he did something amazing and then he played and then he did this hugely symbolic thing they and then he named his son Jordi and then he called his son Jordi <laughs> and he wasn't allowed to because Jordi was a Catalan name and names had to be Castilianised he went to the civil registry and he told me this story because this is still the fi- this is the final year of the dictatorship. Yes, so, yes.
1: And and actually, those final death throes of the dictatorship were pretty. There was a
2: there, it was almost brutal. worse than the previous yeah. five or six years. Yeah, I think. yeah. And so he goes to the civil registry, and he tries to register his name, his son's name as Geordie, which obviously in Spanish would be Jorge, in English would be George, hmm. patron saint of Catalonia, obviously patron saint of England as well, and of Georgia. Um, and so he goes. <laughs> I don't suppose that was the reason, though. He goes to the civil registry. And he told me this story and I just, I love the way he tells it as well. And he says, so, so Geordie says, he can't be called Geordie. He said, what do you mean you can't be called Geordie? It's not allowed. Uh, what's not allowed? Well, you can't be called Geordie. No, but, but what do you mean? What's not allowed? Well, it, his name has to be Castilian. He says, I'm Johan. He's Geordie. And basically the guy says, I can't write it down for you. And so Johan, the way he tells the story, he says, all right, don't write it down then. I'll take him out. I won't register him. Don't write him down. Don't write him down. And in the end, basically, you could see that Cruyff was prepared to just say, "Bah, sod it, I'm going, see you later, no worries. I'll sign him up somewhere else. Hmm. And in the end, it gets written down. And at that stage, genuinely, there were virtually no one in Catalonia over under a, under a certain age hmm. called Geordie. Now it feels like everyone in Catalonia is I called Jordi. I'd say sort of 60 to 70% <laughs> yeah, yeah. called Jordi. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, and this was really symbolic. And yet, again, this brings us back to that idea of how much did he embrace the Catalan ideal. Yeah. He says, I quite like the name and it was good and I wanted to do it and it was my son and I wanted to call my son what I wanted to call my son. And he's not there saying, I wanted to make a bold statement. I wanted mm. to imbra- in- ingratiate myself with Catalonia or even I wanted to embrace the Catalan cause. You asked Jordi mm. and I spoke to Jordi about this and, and Geordie's well, oh, I think he just liked the name. He's never really talked about it that much to me. It was just kind of a thing. But of course, for everybody else, it was the thing. Mm. It was just massive. And this again is similar in, in his transfer. Real Madrid made a bid for him and Santiago Bernabeu tried to sign him although he later claimed I didn't like him because of his cheta he was his cheek you know his arrogance Hmm. Um, that's not (laughs) true didn't want him anyway yeah exactly well that's exactly the point I asked Cruyff why did you sign for Barcelona not Real Madrid and he said because Ajax sold me to Real Madrid and I said no 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 I decide so if you're selling me to Real Madrid Hmm. I'm going to Barcelona. Don't tell me what to do. And was that quite indicative of uh, that? Exactly. Him as a person. That is that is kind of quiffen. Cool. And, and there's this lovely line where he says, "Like people always said, I was difficult. I wasn't difficult. I was just fighting for what I thought was right." Hmm. And and he talks about himself as being part of the Beatles generation. That idea of challenging authority. That idea of social change. And that idea that that you know and you got, Joan Cruyff, obviously with the long hair, he was kind of bohemian. He He was bohemian, the smoker. um, You know, almost hippified a little bit. And and John Laporta, you know, always tells us the former Barcelona president always tells about. You know, when he was a kid growing up, he wanted to be Cruyff, and you know, he would do his hair like Cruyff, and he just changed the way that people looked at everything, really, Hmm. and in particular, of course, football.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, as we said, uh, two of the most iconic players from the past in Di Stefano and and also one other
0: very brief thing, livestock.
1: Okay. Yeah, pigs. Yeah, good yeah.
0: football and not such a good businessman. Yeah, so it made so, some poor investment Yeah, but, and
2: also but the 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 livestock thing was was curious because he he was signed and there was some, there was some problems of signing him, and so in terms of the. I think it was in terms of the customs declaration. He was declared in customs as bien somminovente livestock. So I asked Cruyff, do you know, you know what you were written down as? He said, yeah, I think I remember I was officially 15 tractors or something. Nearly. It was livestock. Cruyff was officially registered as an importer of livestock. What? Yes, exactly. Why? Because there was some sort of paperwork, customs-related oh, wow. issue. I thought you were going to talk about him it, and yeah, his that's ill fated pig farming. No, that's, that's, what that's what another it, element of things that, that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But there we go.
0: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
1: All right, uh, let's move on and talk about uh, Leo Messi, who, as we've said many times, is, is, is quite good at football. But he was, uh...
2: <laughs> we're going to talk about someone else who's also quite good at football before anyone gets angry with us.
1: <laughs> yes, we haven't. We don't have to do that that much anymore, though.
2: No, but every now and again it still raises its, uh, it's yeah. like ugly head, doesn't yes. it? All right, we're going to talk about Ronaldo
1: in just a moment, but obviously Messi uh, signed for Barcelona. When, when was he technically signed? Is it is it February two thousand and one or is it December two thousand? Um, well, he went on
0: trial with Barcelona in t- yeah in, in two thousand. Yeah. I think the the contract, the famous contract on the paper napkin. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Maybe that's going into. I think he moved to Barcelona in February two thousand and one. So. Yeah. Yes. And then and and then, this but then is, he couldn't actually play well, this is properly this officially. This is yeah. And there was so this 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 contract written on a
2: napkin. This is written at, a, at a Pompeii Tennis Club and. Um, Charlie Rishac is there, and Charlie Rishac is there with Horacio Gaglioli, who's, who's his agent. And basically, they're waiting for this to be done, and Barcelona aren't, aren't finalising it. And Rishac, and I think this is really interesting, Rishac writes, I, Charlie Rishac, in my capacity as technical secretary for FC Barcelona, and this is the key line, I think, and despite the existence of some opinions against it, commit to signing Lionel Messi as long as the conditions agreed are met and the contract was signed then and then the proper contract this was it in, doesn't
0: sound legally binding this, to this, me i'd <laughs> say this
2: is exactly but then the, the proper contract is is signed later on but that 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 napkin still exists i, I think uh, i think gaglioli has got it Wow! Every now and again, you see fo- there are photos of it. Actually, if you look it up online, I mean that's got to
0: be that's got to go in a museum. It's got to, hasn't surely, it?
2: Yeah. absolutely. And, uh, this is
0: definitely our um, our youngest transfer, by the way, of all the ones that we've covered so far. We haven't yeah. had any, any actual child transfers. I mean, true. I,
2: I, I was. I of, mean, there should yeah. be a FIFA ban for this, shouldn't there? For I mean, he was be. obviously as a lot of our listeners will know, but but. Barcelona found uh, a payment for his father, we were trying to look for a job for his father, and of course they took on, the most key elements. Of this was they took on the payment of, of, of the hormone, hormone treatment, treatment that he yeah. needed because of his stunted growth. Um, it cost him nearly $1,000 a month. And that was one of the reasons, of course, why new old boys mm. weren't prepared to keep doing this. Mm.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's why, uh, well, he came to uh, Barcelona, and as we say, the, uh, the rest
2: is history. But He copied me, though. He came to Barcelona which... when he was in Barcelona. He stayed in the hotel rally. Which I sometimes stay in. So obviously he was copying me. He copied you? Well, actually, he probably got to Barcelona before me. When did he arrive? Yeah, he got to Barcelona he before me. He might have me.
0: been there around the same time and just you know not what? known it. We
2: could have been that in the two rooms in the lobby. That, next door to each other. Yeah. <laughs> he was probably in the room next to me. Yes. I taught him everything he knows, you know. You know. Mm. Well, he's taught us some things uh, as well. Yeah. What has he taught us? Five things. Five things? <laughs> what have we learned from Leo Messi? Uh, I suppose he's taught us that He's taught us that, that, that you can have a bit of everything. You can have vision, you can have dribbling, you can have finishing, you can be a player who plays all over the pitch. It brings us back a little bit to Di Stefano. Stefano yes. um, that you can be arguably you know, the best or one of the best four or five footballers in history without necessarily being physically brilliant. Mm. Because actually physically he's not that brilliant. I mean, I'm mean, i not saying he's not an athlete because of course he is. Um, I don't know, what else, can, what else has he taught us? I'm not sure.
1: Um, but has this signing Perhaps
2: Does it know. really count As a signing I mean well, that's eyes well, that, you say It was a kid signing yeah. it's, it's
1: a kid signing Did that The fact that Messi was signed so young Did that maybe accelerate Other child signings and, and the fact that
0: He was found And think oh my god We get the new Messi Well I mean Joking aside I'm not Would, would the way that He was signed now Would that be against FIFA Probably yes. This is why what we, what we've seen uh, Probably, Atleti yeah. and Real Madrid yeah. Chelsea recently Punished for, for these kinds of transfers, yeah, bringing in, in young, because, very young players from in, overseas. In
2: theory, um, the player has to be in the city mm. or in the catchment area, mm. um, which obviously depending on the different countries and depending on how close the cities are to each other, that catchment area is a different, that radius is, is a different yeah, size. Rosario is definitely not for, close enough to Barcelona. For, for reasons not to do with that child's footballing development. Mm. Now, obviously, there have been ways around it, or at least clubs well, thought it there is, were exactly. ways this around this, and now, yeah. and now they're now they're being being caught out for it. Um, and obviously, he then goes into a youth team as a 13-year-old with a certain Frances Fabrias and Pique. Gerard Piquet, and Marc Valiente, and one or two others as well.
1: Hmm.
2: I mean, what, what is there left for us to say
1: about Messi? Obviously, the impact of his signing is fairly evident. It's, hmm. I guess... Continuing the legacy that was started by Cruyff, as, as you mentioned. Yeah. Obviously, that, that legacy from Cruyff has, has been far and, and wide reaching. But, um, yeah, what, what else can we say about him and this signing? Uh, I mean, I think. I, think, I mean, it's genuinely difficult. I mean, you, I, mean obviously I suppose have you have to include him. I
2: suppose you can say that, that there's, there's an importance in identification as well. That, all right, he's not a Catalan. All right, he's not a kid who grew up supporting Barcelona. But he joins Barcelona at 13. And he is going to see out his entire career now. Admittedly, if Barcelona weren't a great club, he wouldn't be seeing out his entire career there. But I think, I think perhaps had he gone to Barcelona as a 22, 23-year-old and been this good, mm. I think the chances of having seen him then take a subsequent move, to, say to Man City or, for argument's sake, to Juventus or to wherever, probably would have been higher. I think, I think there is a value, even though he was an imported player, mm. albeit at 13, I think this is a, there is a value in the loyalty and in the fact that, I don't know about you, I'm quite pleased with the suggestion that the best player, potentially the best player of all time, if and when he finishes career might well have played his entire career at one club.
0: Well, there's also the question of... I quite like you that. You say that if he'd have joined at 22, but there's the question of would he have been this good if he had joined Barca yes. at 22 mm. and not as a kid? Because, you know, the suspicion is that part of what makes him so unique is innate talent, but also the fact that he's been in the Barcelona mm. system Well, Rishak, that Rishak, Rishak, Rishak says this. says and surrounded by the players that we've mentioned. Yeah.
2: Rishak says this, that the game he went to see Messi play in, which was especially organised friendly because Rishak had just come back from the Sydney Olympics... Um, And he turned up late, for what it's worth. Rishak turns up late to everything. Um, Rishak, been watching him for two or three minutes, says sign him. He's absolutely unbelievable, and he he is kind of credited as being the man who discovered Messi. But he always says, "Well, any old idiot could have discovered Messi." He said mm. that. Said he said he went into the perfect ecosystem. Mm. He went into the kind of club that played the kind of football that enhanced his qualities. That rather than try to make him to go back to that question of physicality, bigger and stronger. I mean, obviously they were trying to make him bigger because he was because he had growth problems. But you know, try and make him an athlete. But no, we we embrace what he does and we fit that into a model that has worked for him. I suppose you could argue that. There have been times in this Barcelona period when that model hasn't entirely worked for him Mm. and that maybe he's been almost too good even for Barcelona. But yeah, I mean, as you say, had he been a a 13-year-old at, say, let's say he he turns up at Liverpool or he turns up at Bayern Munich or something like that, would he have been the same at 22? I guess the answer is probably not. Mm. No, I mean so maybe he's a product of Cruyff as well. Yeah, yeah. potentially.
1: I heard Fernando Redondo speaking about him the other day. Did you hear him speaking on the speaking on the radio about about Messi and he was asked, you know, would he have been the same player if he turned up at Barcelona maybe at 18 or 19 even still young, but he was like I don't think so. I think he would have been more and the word he used was silvestre. Which oh, yeah, is I like had,
2: w- yeah. Wild. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way of looking at it. He, yeah. would, he would not have been so refined. Yeah. And and I suppose there is there is that question mark of, to what extent is he a product of, of the professionalisation of mm. the structure and mm. to what extent is it a product of just pure talent mm. and obviously there, there's, there's, an, there's an element of both also I suppose there's another question that's linked to this which is would Argentinian national team fans have embraced him more had he not come to Spain at 13 yes, yes definitely absolutely. and yet he has still got a very
1: strong Argentine accent. Yes, he has a complete Argentine accent. Yes, it's, he has. It's, it's not in any way uh, Spanish. And moving here as a as a, as a young child, it's, it's incredible how he yeah. still maintained that. But yes. uh, I think it's
2: important for him to maintain it. Yes, I think that's probably true. But you you're know. right. I mean, I you know well, you, you, people, people you meet ask... you meet kids who who are abroad for a couple of years and they pick up the accent. I mean, my. My brother's kids, for example, yeah. lived in the US for a bit, and yeah. they're not Americans, but there was touches of American accent in, yes. in the way
1: they spoke, yeah. People ask my mum why she's still got a Greek accent after all these years in England. She said, because I want to.
2: Good answer.
1: Yeah, which I think might have a touch with Messi as well. Maybe he, he wants to he still needs maybe to a, maintain a, a, this connection. Exactly, hold on. I mean, he to, went back to Rosario to, to get married. Mm, that's yeah. a big thing, that's a yeah. huge thing, you yeah. know. Yeah. So maybe the important or the interesting thing about Messi's signing was when it happened and that conditioned the uh, the, the the rest of yes. his story. Um Cristiano Ronaldo's signing happened later in yeah. his career. He was very much uh, of I was going to say a, a formed player that's completely Spanish-ish. spanish Yeah. Well, you know, he, he was he was d'Or Fully developed. He, he developed, just yeah. won the
0: Champions League of Manchester United. He was recognised as, as, well, he'd won the, the prize for being the best player in the world that previous year yes. yes absolutely he was at the very top of his game and he went a year later as
2: well because yes. the deal was essentially not the deal was actually done a year earlier but he went a year later because essentially Manchester United were in a position where they could see where this was going and, and Ferguson said look given the way that Real Madrid have behaved because remember Ferguson coming out talking about Franco's club yes. talking about I wouldn't mm. sell them a virus talking about there's no way this kid he's going to go and and essentially the deal in the end because because there'd been an agreement which put a basically put a, a, a private and never publicly recognised buyout clause into into his contract at Manchester United. Mm. Ferguson was basically, look, I will let you go next year. But the, given everything that's happened this year, I can't let you go now. Stay, have one more brilliant year. And, and he did. Mm. And he was absolutely fantastic. And in that sense, I think his attitude is absolutely irreproachable. Mm. And you can go. And, and, and what, what happened then, of course, was that Cristiano Ronaldo phoned up... Um, phoned up Ramon Calderon who was the Real Madrid president who'd, who'd set this all up and basically said look I'm really sorry I owe everything to them I owe everything to Ferguson who's like a father figure mm. to me I have to stay for a year but I will come next year and then of course they put everything in place I wanted
1: to put Ronaldo in the program that we're going to do about bargains but uh, he probably fit well, because it at Ninety at
2: 90, 94 million euros are we calling it 94 96 depends on the exchange well, rate doesn't yeah. it but yes it was 80 million pounds 80 million pounds Absolute barking. As it turns out, <laughs> yeah. it probably was, wasn't he? It? I mean it's quite amazing because you know bear in mind that when Frontino when Pérez took over as president, he effectively inherited the deal with Ronaldo, but it took ten days before it was it was pushed through. Yes. Because he was trying to get a bit of a discount on it. He was trying to suggest that, well, maybe this is a bit too much and so on. And I think in a way, I don't think that was necessarily because he thought it was too much, but I think it was probably a way of trying to own the deal, mm. trying to make it about him. Because one of the things that annoys Ferrentino Perez more than anything else is to be reminded that the best player he's ever had was not signed by him, but was signed by the previous president, a president who he absolutely hates. Um, and, and so I think maybe there was an element of trying to own the deal a little bit through, through those kind of last-minute negotiations. I don't genuinely think there was ever a chance the deal didn't happen. Hmm. But it has been suggested that there was a chance that it didn't happen. I don't think that's the case.
1: Obviously Alfredo Di Stefano absolutely fundamental and crucial to Real Madrid's five European Cups in the fifties. Ronaldo
2: right at the heart of Real Madrid's four in the last five yes, years. Yes, absolutely. Of course mm. he is. Absolutely he is. I mean I know I know there's a there's a and I, I sort of want to I sort of almost feel like lashing out at this point. There's a kind of a sneeringness about people who don't support Ronaldo and, and talking about how you know, just scoring tap-ins and penalties and all that. I mean, seriously, piss off.
0: Mm. <laughs> I, mean, it's, it's, well, it's, I mean, the idea that Ronaldo only scored tap-ins. And, nice and, even, and by the way, and by hurt. the way, even <laughs> if
2: he did, right? Even if he did. He scored 500 of them. Yeah. do you know what I mean? And so, <laughs> you know, and, and and it is true actually that in terms of the league, his league record in Spain is is relatively poor. Well, it's we say, in nine years.
0: you know, and certainly when you make the comparison oh, yeah. with, Di Stefano, Winning the league, yeah. because yes. we say that Di not Stefano, scoring. no, not, not his goalscoring. You account, know, we Ronaldo. say Di Stefano came and and won eight leagues out of eleven with Madrid. Mm. Ronaldo came and won two out of nine. So yes. it, when you make that comparison, yes, he comes off
2: fourth. Yeah, and and you know, and also I mean Ronaldo. You once said, if everyone was at my level, maybe things would be better. And I think it was when they were going through one of their periodic crises. And everybody laughed at that and said, isn't he arrogant? And it is funny. And yet, at the same time, actually, it's basically true, isn't it? Well, yes, yes. But, you know, he did have to mind say that. Mind you, you can't it. have 11 players yeah. at that level. Where are you going to get 11 yeah. Yeah. players yeah. from at yeah. that level? Yeah, It's not rocket science, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
1: Yes. Um, but yes, obviously, he's proved a hugely significant uh, signing for Real Madrid. It still feels a bit weird he's not here, I have to it say. It does a
2: bit. And and here's the question. I mean, given that, you know, we're recording this podcast at the moment of which we're recording it, at a time when Real Madrid have been knocked out of the Copa del Rey, we're basically out of the league title, and, and you know, we're only just into March. And Is there an argument that says that we're starting to find out how important he was and that mm. maybe this year we're seeing even more important than, than he already was except of course as we've just said this was happening with him mm. And we don't know, you know, how, how this all ends. You know, last year they finished 17 points behind Barcelona
0: with Ronaldo in the team. There was the, a graphic in ASS that I think we tweeted the other day from the from the podcast her Twitter account about the not, amount of goals that Madrid have scored at this stage of the season. Twenty-six over the last sort of behind, years. I think. And basically, you, you, they had a nice little graph, mm. and you saw the the Ronaldo years in which every single year they'd scored uh, 100 plus goals mm. at this stage of the season, and you saw before Ronaldo and after Ronaldo. When they were nowhere, yeah. nowhere near, they were on like eighty something. In in, in a word, a word to define Ronaldo. I've always thought this relentless,
2: relentless. Yes, above all else, relentless. And and actually, if you go back and you read stuff, biographical stuff about him as a kid, walking around the streets with weights on his ankles, the way that he trained. I mean, it's it's almost uncomfortable um, to 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 hear kind of the level of obsession but mm. but it's clear there was something there i was in i mean i know this is a quite a big leap from, from ronaldo but i was in malaga recently speaking to jack harper who of course is a scottish player who was um, a youth teamer at real madrid at the time when mm. ronaldo was, was here and he said you know, i've met him a couple of times i'm not he's not going to claim to have seen him train but he said but one thing is, he said genuinely he said i don't think i ever saw his car not there in the car park. Mm. So you know, I'd turn up at training he was already there. I'd leave he's still there. He was always the first in, always the last out and he and, and Jack describes it as an obsession. Mm. He says I think there's something deeply obsessive about him because in a way if the secret to Ronaldo's success is just the hard work, well, everyone can do that. Yes. But it's the talent plus the hard work and actually maybe the hard work is of a level that's so extreme, so absurd that even the most dedicated players in the world don't match it somehow. So perhaps
1: uh, the signing obviously worked on a number of levels, and one of those levels might have been bringing that obsessive, relentless desire to win to a club like Real Madrid and, and trying to
2: sort of inculcate it to everyone. Or, or and though, to come back to that question of values to, to fit with that idea that what we do is the is a product of hard work even in this case even in the Stefano case when it's also the product of buying the best player around Yeah. but that best player then embodies that for you it's interesting in theory, then, though least. that
0: in in the league at least that relentlessness didn't translate into which consistently do, winning the league which it should because in theory, the, the, theory the league is about regularity and relentlessness yeah exactly yes. It should have done but it, but it but it didn't but they're also up against you know one of the best club teams ever for for quite an extended
2: period. All right, listen,
1: uh, we're going to leave it there. Thank you for uh, joining us at this uh, look back on the uh, four biggest impact signings uh, in the history of La Liga, certainly in the history of Real Madrid and Barcelona. We'll have another episode coming out uh, in a couple of weeks where I think we're going to talk about the biggest bargains. We've got
0: bargains to look forward to. Later on, we've got flops to look forward to as well. Flops is going going to be the most fun, I think, isn't (laughs) it? Yes,
1: absolutely. Uh, But uh, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, we'll be back soon. See ya. Cheerio. Bye.
0: Network.